If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. Hmm. Uh, so what do you do? That's a great question. <laughs> what is the long-term effect of too much information? the same but welcome back i change it every every episode <laughs> to, oh, man, you're to throw you guys off today huh <laughs> yeah you russian, were russian russian my dude <laughs> uh we're back one Sorry, denzel. <laughs> denzel got cut off a little yeah. early <laughs> uh dio here gene and mac and mac today what are we talking and about don't today? forget about um oh, we hector got, we got a little uh doggo in the house hector we're gonna also put him up on uh parlor and twitter so you guys can see our the proto well, cynic if you don't like what we're saying you can at least like us and appreciate us for the the, the cute pandering so yeah we, the, got a, we got a cute panda <laughs> watch the guy comes in wait a minute that's that's my dog he's got headphones he's got a microphone he you know it's he's a cynic he, no he can't talk that's what's funny about <laughs> this episode's right. on humor and dogs no <laughs> um docile cynic <laughs> Let's talk about um oh yeah oh so uh, uh, so basically what we're doing for you guys because we are coming up on the Christmas holiday we're going to do a little series for the listeners we are going to do a series for the next 4 weeks on the Abrahamic religions that means Judaism Islam and Christianity that's only 3 weeks so we needed a fourth one so to start things off we're going to go with the always controversial since the beginning of time Gnostics the Gnostic religion that competed with the Catholics and the Orthodox Christians back at the uh, beginning of the uh, the ADs. Yeah, and it's something I didn't know. Maybe I had some of the idea. I had heard some of the ideas before, but didn't connect it to a specific group or religion. But uh, that was my understanding of it. Did a little bit of research, but it's a very interesting uh, uh, religion. For sure, and it's kind of been dying out in a lot of ways, but... So, yeah, the the Gnostics, I've known about them for a while as a concept. Um, not It's not really a religion. It's a blanket term which covers a wide spectrum of ideas that were basically considered heretical. It's not, it's not an organized religion, ne- that's never, for sure. It never was organized. Well, and it was never, that term was never used by people who would we con- who would, we would consider Gnostics. They wouldn't call themselves religious? They wouldn't call themselves Gnostic. Ah. <clears throat> so basically, and, and so basically when the, when the story of Jesus happened, for whatever amount of truth you personally want to assign to it, um, back at the turn of the millennium, was it millennium? Yeah. Two, no, 2,000 years ago. 2000 yeah back back at the turn from bc to ad sound like an idiot now but uh jesus did his thing whether or not you believe he died for all of our sins or not uh doesn't matter there we do believe there was historical jesus and there definitely was the jesus myth that arose as a result uh this resulted in a number of different jesus cults rising up in uh, Judea at the time and spreading through, starting to spread throughout the, uh, the Roman Empire around the Mediterranean there. Now, this Jesus myth was, when it got to certain people, it was influenced by whatever they already believed. And a lot of it was, was um, Neoplatonism, right? Well, that's, yeah, exactly. So in some areas, especially the, the Greeks, the churches that were set up uh, there, uh, it was influenced by their own take, which was, early philosophy, uh, Socrates, Plato, even Pythagoras, uh, influenced their how they viewed the Jesus myth. Um, there was also influences from Eastern mystery religions. Um, and these were, they all believed a variety of things. When the Jesus myth became commonplace in Rome and Constantine converted and made Christianity the official religion of the state, that's when you started to have the Orthodox Christian church. From that, you have the Greek Orthodox, the Eastern Orthodox, and the Universal Catholic Church arose as a result of that. Now, in this time, it was like a battlefield of religious ideas. Everybody, with these competing ideas, everybody was kind of trying to figure out what the correct way to be a Christian. Now, backed by the Roman state, the Orthodox, which would become the Catholic Church, uh, had a number of conventions 
and uh, basically workshops where they got together and uh, kind of hit their heads or, you know, banged their heads against each other and decided what is and what was not actually Christian. The things that they decided were not Christian are generally referred to nowadays as Gnostic beliefs. These include a wide spectrum of, of things, of beliefs and, and worship that we nowadays, uh, with modern day Christianity, would they seem out there, even by Christian uh <laughs> Christian, uh, you know, standpoint. So uh, that's what we'll be exploring today is the things that were deemed uh, heretical. Am I saying that right? I feel like I'm not saying that right. Heretical. 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 So Her- Heretic. Heretical. Sorry about I think that. it is. I think it is her- heretical. Heretical. Yeah. <laughs> Believing in or practice, practicing religious heresy. Heretical. Okay. Heretical. You know, yeah. So that. sometimes you say a word and you've said it a bunch of times and it starts to sound funny in your mouth. That's what that heretical. word was. Yeah. Heretical. Okay. So these are the heretical beliefs that were not absorbed into mainstream Christianity. When the Catholic Church really got rolling, they attacked the so-called Gnostic churches with a fervor. They went as hard as they could to wipe these out, which included tracking down and killing the people that believe these things, um, spreading misinformation and, and just uh, bad publicity, saying things like their worship included eating babies and orgies. And, and, and it's funny because it's like, uh, just just like the cynics, you with all the text on the cynics is also just mostly slander and libel. And that's the, the interesting part about uh, Gnosticism is that to know the truth... Um, you kind of have to see it from the, the only way to understand Gnosticism is through the people who dislike them, which is well, going to be pretty biased, really. And, and that's what we had. Um, the early church fathers, there were people who their sole position was to, they specialized in heretical thinking. Like they, they sought these people out, studied them, and wrote books about them. And so it's filled with very biased opinion. And then we don't, we for a long time, didn't know anything about the Gnostic belief system other than what their enemies told them because the Catholic Church made sure to burn all their literature into ash. This is where the Dead Sea Scrolls and the, what was the one called? The Nag? Oh, I have it up here. It's called the um, Nag, Nag Hammadi. Nag Hammadi Library. When these were discovered discovered in the sands of Egypt. Oh, um, and Gnosis.org. You can look it up about the Nag Hammadi. This is an actual mm-hmm. legitimate website. Well, yeah, they, it's it's a whole project that um, that that's a funny story. The Nag Hammadi, I believe, is the one that um, they just some some just it's just some regular dudes in Egypt like found it and then they hung on to it. Then they sold it to an antiques guy in like the seventies, and he tried to sell it for like three million dollars, <laughs> and nobody bought it. So he smuggled it out of Egypt to like Long Island and he put it in a safety deposit box. <laughs> Where the humidity just like dissolved it for, yeah. for eighteen years until they got it to like some actual it got it got appraised. Re, re, well, they got it to actual like document restoration experts who were able to preserve it. But yeah, we lost like ten to fifteen percent of the text because of that. And the only reason why it survived was because of the climate in Egypt. It's so dry, and they yeah. put it in a wine jar. Or no, what? I think it was a wine jar. It, not it was, yeah, not was, motivated thinking on our part. I swear. It, it was earthenware, yeah, but it was it was sealed up and it was basically mummified, so it was in great condition despite being over, you know, 1500 years old. But that's because of that this greatly expanded what we know about gnostic thinking and what the gnostics believed. Yeah, and the texts all the texts discovered at Nag Hammadi are available available in the Gnostic Society Library. The collection is indexed in alphabetical order and by location in the original codices so and they have an official website gnosis.org and uh yeah what we also forgot to define gnosis well that's something that i've had it let's talk about gnosis why i think it's an interesting um uh aspect of it because it gnosis means knowledge but it's Mm -hmm. a very specific terms uh uh type of knowledge it's like theoretical knowledge rather than practical knowledge and that's why i think the Christians didn't like it because it was too theoretical and um, it was reserved to secret people who had uh, kind of da-, da Vinci 
What was that movie? Da Vinci's. Well, that's when it Secret was of- when it was kind of pushed underground. So it's it's come to be associated with hidden knowledge, but it it's not. A lot of what it gets like when when you hear Gnostics now, they they tend to get lumped in with like secret societies and and orders and um hidden groups and so that's where a lot of the hidden knowledge aspect comes from but really what it does is it's the act of discovering knowledge that was hidden but it it gives ways to illuminate that knowledge Um, and and it was used by plato to describe the cognitive or intellectual dimension of learning as opposed to the practical yeah and and so that's that's actually part of the the very first thing, the difference between the Gnostics and the mainstream Christians is the emphasis on on mundane life, on physical reality. The early Christians, they tried to have a pretty balanced approach to heaven and earth, as in heaven is a spiritual location and earth is a physical location, and the two of them kind of have an equal purpose and an equal importance, whereas the Gnostics... Their concept of reality is that the earth we live on is kind of a prison. It's a false reality created to cause us suffering and pain, to to trick us, to confuse us, um, and that to, to liberate yourself from this to the purely spir- spiritual realm is ultimately the goal. And this is kind of shared with Plato's allegory of the cave. And also it reminds me kind of the ma- Matrix as well. Well, exactly, and that's... The, this is where this is the concept like we talked about on the Matrix episode the the concept of reality when we talked about like the evil god this is the concept of the evil god in uh, in a lot of Gnostic beliefs they have a concept of two gods they have the first one is called the Monad and this is the good true god who is beyond understanding as we are now. He is the divine spark that is in all living creatures. He is the the everything. He's kind of a pantheistic, all-present being. And then within that, there's the evil god, the, the Demiurge. The Demiurge is the god of the Old Testament and the creator of this world, who, depending on which text you're reading, either created earth specifically as a prison for our souls to basically fuck with us, or he created this as a in a vain attempt to create life, but because he himself is imperfect, that is why this creation is imperfect. So right there you have another stark contrast, a big difference between the Gnostic belief and the mainstream Christian belief. The Gnostics have a concept of the God that we worshipped in the Old Testament not actually being the highest power, but in fact being lesser to a more supreme power. Um, the one, and this is, as you can guess, the Catholic Church said it pretty, pretty straightforward that we believe in one God, monotheistic, who has three aspects: God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Whereas the um, the Gnostics really opened it up to a lot more heavenly beings. Jesus himself was sent by the monad to save human beings from from the demiurge's confusion and trickery and to to help us find the divine spark within and transcend physical reality. And funny enough the um the divine spark, the inner light is um also the Spartans believed in that too. I was we were going to do a Spartan episode and I sent you that. The Greek term is um, let me look it up real quick. It's called um, it's know thyself. It's nyothi saton. Knowing us ourselves means recognizing the first and foremost. And they say, I don't know if they actually use this word terminology, that we are divine human beings. Our divine spark interpretates our humanist body, mind, and spirit. The absolute interpretation, interpenate interpretates the relative this is the first step in knowing ourselves and realizing that each of us is a microcosm of the macrocosm know thyself means that we must consciously devote ourselves to the understanding of our own nature and to the improvement of our purification of our body mind and soul with this maxim the spartans embrace the life of philosophy to know to dare to do to be silent non-chattering mind and mouth 
So I, I think it's interesting how it has a lot of pagan, um, Greco-Roman thought, but also the... Um, it seems like there's some Zoroastrianism in there as well. Do you think that? How old is Zoroastrianism? It's far older than um, Christianity. So there's definitely probably <clears throat> some, I guess, inspiration. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Zoroastrian is the original monotheistic religion. So, I mean, all the all the Abrahamic religions can, can owe a lot to Zoroastrianism. But in terms of... Like like Gnostic belief specifically how it contrasts with um or differs from mainstream Christianity. Um actually the, the, the concept of of kind of despising the physical reality and aiming for more to liberate yourself from this reality, that really brings to mind Buddhism for me yeah, personally. I was thinking that as well. The, and the four noble truths are, you know, life is suffering everything sucks like you're gonna get old you're gonna die that this is the core essence of of buddhism is that the reality we live in is a mirage it's not real and what you try to do in buddhism is purify your spirit and awaken to your buddha nature which could be interpreted as the divine spark and then to separate yourself from samsara which is the cycle of you know birth and death and rebirth and once you do that, then you break free from the physical reality and transcend to be, you know, basically one with the creative energy. The same, you know, which in Gnosticism would be the monad. Um, so there's a lot of similarity there. There's also, go ahead. Just a callback. I think that's kind of got some parallels to the Matrix in yeah. some ways. About big time, yeah. And this this goes back to the Matrix. Really, is just a a, a, a Christian allegory. Side. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, most people actually agree with that. And this is not like a controversial wine jar cynics interpretation. No, I mean, uh, a lot of people thought that too. You said it yourself, Neo is Christ-like figure. Yeah, Christ-like figure. He's a Messiah, and they call him the One, right? Neo backwards is one, and the One, and also in uh, Gnosticism, the main God is. Like Christianity isn't so much so about removing yourself from that as much as Gnosticism. Yeah, is. and I think that's. I know it's probably I'm, I'm gonna have to make I don't want to make this political, but I will end end up making it political because it just makes I mean that's the other side of the the coin I feel, and we have to talk about it. That if I think the church knew that they if if they wanted to make this a religion and they wanted to preserve things that they had to weed out other people who are gonna interpret it themselves and try to gain knowledge and experience and wisdom because it might be a threat to them. There's going to be a lot of sex, but if you have a mono, mono, monolithic, monolithic control, I think it's easier for a religion to to launch itself. Well, and that, and you said that too, right? It, it became a political tool, is what it became. I mean, it was <clears throat> the way that it's structured is is very hierarchical. It's very it's very control based. the The early church, they like most people didn't especially once we got to the Middle Ages and, and the Catholic Church really came into power, all it, no matter what country it was in, all the sermons were done in Latin, whether or not people could understand or not. All the Bibles were written in Latin. Um, people weren't taught to read. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. all salvation came through the priest who was your direct connection to God. You couldn't even pray by yourself. You had to either have a priest or a saint intercede on your behalf. And so... The, the church, the early church was really about control in that regard. Like once it got picked up by the, uh, by the Roman state. Um, and I mean, that's a lot of the atrocities that we have <laughs> through, throughout the histories that are, you know, attributed to Christianity and Catholicism. It, it really comes down to uh, control over people. Whereas, whereas Gnosticism definitely harkens to more of a freedom just from a philosophic side, again, we don't know how these particular groups or sects That's true. acted. Mm-hmm. Some of them could have been genuinely barbaric in how they, they acted. In fact, I know early Christianity, again, like in Paul's time, um, very, very early, they made heaven sound so great that people were just killing themselves. Like they were jumping off buildings and, and offing themselves to hurry up and get to heaven. And that's why suicide became a sin, actually. 
so that just all the Christians didn't kill themselves and <laughs> turn into a suicide cult. So, that, you know, when we look at well, what's really interesting is that when you study ancient, like the, the process of the Jesus myth becoming Christianity, there's all these aspects and things in Christian doctrine that people take for granted, but they all have a reason for how they got here. They all have a story of how they got put in place. And so that's, that suicide story that became like an unforgivable sin. <laughs> yeah. But but also the the original um, Gnostics, from what I read, not again we don't know. Search it yourself. Maybe it could have been just wishful thinking to um, link it up to other religions. But they were aesthetics, kind of like the cynics. So they would um, uh, abandon pleasures. And luxury, so they get and in kind of an abstinent lifestyle and the pursuit of knowledge, uh, redemption, salvation, and nirvana, essentially. Well, and that and that harkens back to just kind of despising the flesh, like, and that's that's the other. So, one theme that is that constantly occurs, and it's one of the big beefs that even modern Christianity has against the Gnostic, you know, heresy, is that you. You you do one of the other. You either make the physical too important and you discount, you know, you throw away the spiritual aspect completely or you make the spiritual too important and you discount and throw away the physical aspect. And so the Gnostics tend to take away the humanity of Jesus. Basically, God or a being sent by the monad could not have been human because, you know, God is so pure and divine of the spirit that the more human he is, the more it takes away from his divinity. And so, therefore, you know, they can't imagine God bleeding and, and shitting and eating and puking, you know, human nastiness, right? And so they really push to take away the hum, human part of God, whereas in the Catholic and the Orthodox traditions, there is a, it is necessary that Christ was equal parts human and equal parts God. This is the only way that the, the salvation in terms of sacrifice work for the, for the Christian religion. God had to be, Jesus had to be perfectly sinless in a divine way so that he was not punished for any of his sins on his death where he symbolically died for the sins of the world. So he had to be pure in that way, in the way no human has ever been. But he also had to be human in the, so that he could suffer. If he doesn't suffer, then it, there's no true sacrifice, and therefore there's, there's no point to it all. So this is the – and you'll see this a lot in the – when philosophers talk about the figure of Jesus in Christianity is how much divinity and how much humanity does he have, like – the depending on how you look at it, it changes the entire purpose of the myth completely, you know? <clears throat> so that's, that's one of the issues that the, the, the church has with the Gnostics. It's one of the beefs <laughs> is the, is, is that concept. <clears throat> I could, I'm still, um, and Gnostics, not necessarily monotheistic. I mean, it seems very dualistic, right? Kind of like Zoroastrianism. I was on a thread, by the way, and they said, yeah, there's probably some Zoroastrian influences by in some movement, but probably itself not. Like, I read that they, there's two gods, one that's like created. Yeah, the, the monad the and, the, and the demiurge. The true god. Yeah, so, so it's... Yeah, you could definitely... And, and in some... In some stories from the from the gnostic writings right you have levels between the the evil god the demiurge and the the pure true god the monad is the demiurge the, supposed to be the god of the old testament yes yeah, so that's that's a general way of looking at it is all the evil and all the selfishness and all the sacrifice and all the bad questionable things that are ascribed to god that wasn't the true God. That was the evil God, the, the Demiurge. And so in some, so right there you have basically two divine beings, right? <clears throat> and that's not even counting. I actually don't know the Gnostic view of, of evil and Satan or anything like that. Um, I guess the Demiurge could fulfill that 
Um, and in some ways they talk about Satan being God of this world anyway. So maybe it's the same thing. And the mm, yes. Demiurge is a lion faced, um, lion faced with a snake body. Good old medieval art. <laughs> yeah. It looks pretty medieval. But, um, but yeah, so in, in some stories, the monad, you know, created or just existed and created some other divine beings, right? And then those divine beings, one of them was named Sophia, and Sophia created uh, the, the Demiurge, but the Demiurge sucked. It was, a, it was a bad creation. And so Sophia hid the Demiurge away, you know, in like a pocket dimension or something, and... and the Demiurge, because it was all by itself, just assumed that it was the the end-all, be-all, the Alpha, the Omega, and as a result started to create stuff um, because it had the same, it had the the line of divinity from the monad, but it was imperfect. It was an imperfect creation, and so then it started to create, and therefore its creation was imperfect. Um, and that's where you can decide, is it intentionally fucking with us or is it just doing the best it can and it's just not very good at its job it doesn't matter either way from the gnostic perspective our purpose is to transcend this reality of the demiurge and go past him to to the monad to the true creation right the true source of everything and that's similar to buddhism buddhism has um buddhism actually has room for uh, the Christian God, much in the same way the Gnostics, as it says, the the source, the creation, the universe, God, however you want to talk about it, that's nirvana. That's where we're trying to get. However, the realm we're in is is physical, and therefore it is based on suffering and misery and and all these bad things. But there are for every realm, because there's many many realms in Buddhist, you know, cosmology. And every realm has what's called the king of the realm, where that king has been around for so long and has so much power that they themselves consider themselves to be the end-all, be-all, much the way the Demiurge was. And so they're stuck in their own illusion. They think they are the god of, or they are the god of that world. However, to go past that into further realms, you have to liberate yourself from that physical realm. So in... The Christian God, from a Buddhist perspective, Christianity can work within the the Buddhist cosmology, but for a Christian to accept that, again, you get to the same problem that the Christians have with the Gnostics. It's that you have to admit the God you worship is not the supreme God, Mm -hmm. right? It it is a flawed God, which goes against the, you know, perfect, omnipotent, omnipresent. And there's also the idea that agnostics don't necessarily fear god that's a big thing in christianity yes well and that comes and down I didn't to think the gnostics pray either and i don't know actually i don't know if anybody knows because from what i read they don't pray they it's not a part of well because they wouldn't really have anyone to pray to yeah because they don't think that god is yeah. worth praying to right only the the god that you, uh, you wouldn't even pray uh you wouldn't it's, pray to the monad either like if we're using like um deductive reasoning because it's a mysterious God. Why would a mysterious God want us to pray for him, you know? Yeah, I think the biggest difference is the relationship with God or the mm-hmm. true God and how kind of... Well, the the monad from what I've it seen... It sounds like a pantheistic God, kind of like Einstein believed in pantheism. It's a metaphor for the cosmological force in the universe. Yeah, it's it's a... You can't really know it in a sense. It's well, a and, mis- and, that, and that's where it's a secret knowledge. That's why you're through purification and through self-development, you're trying to not understand it because you can't understand it, but you're trying to unite with it. So you understand it on an almost intuitive level. But if you're to just pray and say, you know, you can't, our mind can only conceive of the God of this world from a Gnostic perspective, the God of this universe, the God of this reality. And so if that's the demiurge, you can, Imagine that if our universe is in a bubble, our reality is in a bubble, the demiurge is completely around it. And if you're just praying, that's like sending a signal out into the ether, the demiurge mm. will receive it. So even yeah. if you say, no, no, this is for the monad, <laughs> he, he still collects it. Because he, depending on how you believe on it, has no concept of the monad himself. Mm-hmm. He think, you know, to him, it's just him. And so to get to the 
to the monad, the only way to do it is to transcend this existence. So you're transcending this reality in a way to get out of that bubble and bypass it completely to get to the monad. So there's, it would make sense they don't pray since there's no way to know that your prayers are getting through to that. Yeah, in, God. A, in a way, Christianity kind of backs that up, like Jesus preaching the divine harm, plan, harmlessness, and things like mm-hmm. that. But the Old Testament God was very blood and guts. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not following those principles he, he himself. Didn't, he didn't play around. So it's kind of interesting. I don't. I don't know really how Christians kind of make sense of that. So I know of one, and we can touch on this more on the actual Christian, uh, you know, episode, but. I know that one route is that the 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 creation when God created the world it was perfect it was a perfect place to be and then the fall of man from Adam and Eve right um but the fall was necessary they had to fall so that they could uh be redeemed right but in the process of redemption they the plan was from the beginning that they would fall and then Jesus would be born and die for their sins, and then they would know God through that salvation, right? So God, the same, as they say, God had to be super, like, kill everybody because he had to keep his chosen people pure so that Jesus could be born into a pure bloodline that worshipped and knew him. So that's, that's how they justify it. So he needs to be, um, the Jews had, because the Jews were surrounded on all sides by these, you know, um, other gods, foreign gods. They were surrounded by people with multiple gods. They had whole, uh, what are they called? Pantheons of gods, you know. And they were always under the influence of these their neighbors. And so, like God them having one God that represented them, he had to constantly lay down the law and keep them pure, even if it meant, you know, genociding some other tribes, right? And so that's the whole point, because that's how important the birth of Jesus was in the divine plan, right? So, because if Jesus was born into the Jews, and the Jews were, half of them believed, you know, in Baal or or some other Middle Eastern sky god, right, besides Yahweh, then it would be it would be bad for the plan. <laughs> you know, it would not be good. So that's that's generally how they justify God's behavior in the Old Testament is that he had to be really strict. On top of that, you had the law, and the law was a very strict law because prior to the redemption, the salvation that Jesus offered, you had no way of redemption of sin except for death. And since you didn't have the the figure of Jesus to sacrifice himself for everyone's sins, you had to atone for your own sins. And so the the price was steep. And it's one of those things that if God declares it, then it's true, even if he doesn't want it to be true anymore, you know. And so he had to create kind of a loophole for himself through Jesus. So that's another way to look at how he treated the Jews themselves. And like same way, there's many different sects of Christianity. Same for Gnosticism, except not really organized, so it's kind of hard to follow it, well, what everyone believes. And I think that's probably why they didn't like them, because if you have a bunch of individuals very, who are loosely, loosely, yeah, it's very hard to control them. It's very hard, near impossible. And if you can't control them, you can't control the um, the flow of information that you you believe should be dogmatic and, I guess, um, gospel. So yeah. it's a political move to, yeah, just um, well, have the um, I guess I want to say indoctrination, but well, I, and that's and that's why the the yeah it, it, was, it was a lot of it was political and any of the like groups that that held out through the initial purge by the time like the Inquisition came <laughs> it, it was over for them like there's a there's a church that existed in France that I know of that. Follow Jesus' example to the to the T. Like the the entire village, the priests owned nothing. Um, they'd walk around barefoot and preach, and everybody was helping each other. It was really communal. Um, 
like they, they really practiced what they preached as it was in the Bible. And the Catholics were having absolutely none of that. <laughs> so they basically just killed everyone in the village. Then <laughs> that didn't exist anymore. <laughs> and what do you think? What do you think of um, Carl Jung? Carl Jung really liked Gnosticism or Gnostic principles, also alchemy as well. I don't know how it relates to psychology because I haven't really studied much psychology. But take a look at this um, post. When you look, um, this is got by Didymus three. Studying Gnosticism reintroduced me to Carl Jung and led me to start reading his works. He was deeply interested in the Gnostics and was able to make an in-depth study of them without the Dead Sea Scrolls or the Nag Hammadi Index. Unbelievable. One of the enduring lessons I've kept from the Gnostic Gospels, however, is the idea that religions initially developed their rules because they were essential to the basic operation of society due to the fact that the people were relatively unevolved and thus needed to be told what what was good for them by a higher being. One of her examples is is a law in the Torah that requires you to sweep out your food storage shed twice a year. Seems kind of weird law to the modern observer, but then we notice that the Jewish community was the only one to avoid the plague. And then we see that sweeping out your food storage prevents rats, and rats are the main carrier of the plague. Now, a modern man doesn't need to be told to clean his home because God told him to but rather he understands it in his own well-being to do so. This idea leads, leads to an idea I, I conceive as a moral power. I use this often in argument where my opponent is decrying the proletarian of technology or the internet. Or Okay, this guy's going on a rant now. But what do you think of that, that idea? What was that guy's name? His name was Didymus Three. No, no, who was he? Carl Jung. Oh, I was going to say, that sounds a lot like that guy Jung. Yeah, yeah, Carl. Oh, I'm fucking with oh you. yeah. <laughs> I'm fucking with I, uh, it's funny because yeah, do most people call Carl Jung but Carl Jung or? I don't know. I'm just I, fucking with you. <laughs> I don't know. I, I know it's spelled with a J. So <laughs> Carl Jung. Carl Jung. No, but it seems like a lot of um, it's very, in, a lot of people like it from a psychological perspective. I, I wanted to know what your take was from that. Why do you think people who study psychology, obviously, maybe because Jung's studied it himself and therefore Jung is kind of one of the f- pioneers of psychology therefore it's good could be the hype train I think it just influenced a lot more things than people realized well and I, th- I think more than Christianity it has the the it has a lot to do with uh, personal reflection it wasn't wasn't Jung one that really talked about like um, he talked about the shadow integration yeah yeah exactly so kind of kind of dealing with your darker sides your your less favorable part and and facing it down and and that's how you become a more complete person so mm-hmm, yeah exactly it, it really is about transcending as an individual towards some i guess enlightenment or something like that so it's a um yeah yeah i could see how it appeals to to young yeah when you have very strong individuals yeah I, Again, I'm going to bring up the Catholic Church. I think that would scare them. Wait a minute. Strong individuals who think they can become to the level of God. This is dangerous. Well, and, and ultimately, that's the other thing. Self-governing is, people. Well, yeah. Ind- independent thought, but also people claiming to, to rise to the level of God. This is... Oh, but yeah. Transhumanism. Have you heard of that? In the modern sense? Yeah. 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 What do you think of the transhumanists, by the way? I know that's kind of... Off topic, but it sounds like the Gnostics are like the four forerunners of the transhumanists. Because no, I don't think so. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think because really, because well, the Gnostics want to become transcend the physical world. Yeah, and but, but transhumanism is using technology to become gods. Essentially, that's almost going deeper into the illusion. Yeah, the whole yeah. point is to separate yourself from the illusion on a spiritual level, and there creating a new reality to jump into instead uh, of that, that is true yeah because they're against the illusion yeah that's true so i guess i'm looking at for more of a becoming a more enlightened more I mean, evolved more godly but, but i mean gnostics don't even believe in that all that either it's right like you can look at it in that way but I, I agree with joe that it's just going it's like going a layer deeper yeah Instead of going out, Where like you it's you're 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 reinserting yourself into the matrix, essentially a, d- a deeper level of it. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're still in the matrix, <laughs> and then you go deeper into the matrix. It's funny yeah. because if you talk to transhumanists, they'd probably say, "We're not going into the matrix. We are, we are becoming 
the Matrix. We're becoming well, gods. Well, exactly. You're kind of fusing hey, yourself with this reality. Embracing it on a deeper level. Yeah. So, and, then, and I mean, you'll get the perks that you would imagine. But so I mean, you would feel you might feel godly, but but I mean, in well, if you're a cyborg, that's pretty godly, and somebody can. <laughs> well, in the same way that with if you're still in, he's got laser realm, guns on your, but you have prosthetics like, can shoot them at people. I mean, you, you kind of would feel like a superhero if if I just dropped you like a hundred billion dollars right now, you would be able to do anything you want to do. You'd you'd feel pretty godlike in that respect, you know. So, but it's the it would even more tie you to this world and in terms. But from, it's still the physical world. I get you, I get yeah. you. And and from a Buddhist perspective, they're trying not. to transcend into not a non physical world like the Neo Platonists. Well, I was gonna say even even the the Plato uh, Platoists like I think. There's an interpretation of Plato's afterlife where basically whatever it is you want, that's where you'll go when you die. So if you're super attached to the physical world, then you'll come back into the physical world. Mm. And if your mind is, stays focused on the world of, of forms, then you will ascend to the world of forms. I think it's, it's kind of like that. You, you get what you want. <laughs> like it almost <laughs> sounds life. like you're trying to become a ghost. Uh but the problem with that is that ghosts are spirits that are of this world, still, yeah, still attached that's true. to this world. In fact, they're trapped in this world in a way. Like you're because they. This is where Gnostics interdimensional ghost. Sure, <laughs> interdimensional ghost. I, I don't think the I don't think the Gnostic texts outright say that there's reincarnation, but it's it's heavily implied. Is that you by being trapped in this world, you keep staying in this world of suffering and death and 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 you know weakness. But um, the goal is to transcend that, to leave it completely. Yeah, the the um, another a real famous text in the, the Gnostic library is the Book of Judas, and for me, this one's always interests me. Um, it's a lot more complicated than than the simple summary that uh, for a lot of people hear about it, and they they believe it's just Judas was in on it, and he helped, you know, Jesus. The the betrayal was not really betrayal. It was part of the plan, right? Uh, that's an oversimplification, but honestly, I've always liked it because the, the problem with Judas that I've had with mainstream Christianity is that if we take Christianity and it, it's entire, the entire concept of the, salva- the plan of salvation is based on Jesus dying, right? Then Judas was a integral part to it then. Well, and, right? that's, and that's exactly my point. He, so I'm seeing it from a secular position, so well, we well exactly technically we have two two options if that's the case. One, if if G, if Judas wasn't in it, right, then we have two options. One is that Judas was created specifically for the purpose of betraying Jesus, right? Then he's part of the divine plan in a sense, right? Or he just got royally. F- I mean, he is part of it, but he either got royally fucked or royally exalted. Well, now he's in hell and Dante's inferno, right? Well, and, that, and that's my point. So, either God's a super dick, for, <laughs> which sounds like the demiurge, for, right? For basically sacrificing uh, Judas to to you know for the the sacrificing the one for the good of the many, right? Mm. Or Judas was part of it, and it was just you know he had to be the fall guy for the whole thing. He's still in hell though, and Dante's Inferno, and then he's in the ninth ring of hell, which you, is you where Brutus is too. You know what's funny about Dante's Inferno? That was totally just like uh, it was like a fan fiction. Fuck you to everybody that was screwing him over. <laughs> really? Yeah, because like everybody that he encounters down there that's suffering in hell, those are like his <laughs> political enemies. <laughs> like this is no really. If you if you read the. Uh, the summaries of them, like they're everyone he meets. There's political enemies, and like the, they're being punished in hell for the shit that they he, pulled. He might life. have been a secret pagan. You know why? Because in the first ring of hell, which is purgatory, right? I think it's like not. It's not really hell. It's not. It's not heaven either. It's just like this kind of limbo. Um, a lot of the pagan philosophers are there. Socrates is there, but the good, kind of the good, the good pagans who are not really anti-Christian, but they weren't really like barbaric pagans. It's kind of like a weird. Well, that Middle. that was him. Diogenes is in there too, by the way. That was great him philosophers getting getting away from like the the problem with Christianity is the like the end all be all in terms of who goes to hell, who goes to heaven. Is that there were a lot of people prior to Christianity's arrival that we hope didn't go to hell. Yeah, exactly. That's why Socrates is in limbo because he's a he would be he would have been a good Christian because he was so smart, so wise, such a, a moral person. So therefore. 
putting him in hell would be unfair. And I think that's why in Dante's Inferno, he's he deserves that place to be in limbo, I feel. Well, and that's, and that's why limbo was actually one of the reasons why it was created was to deal with these kind of overhangers, these these problems, right? But actually, there's a there's a Gnostic text um, or an Apocrypha, um, maybe not quite Gnostic, but there is a book that wasn't included in the canon text of the Bible where when Jesus dies for three days, one of the things he does is he goes down to hell to liberate, like, the early patriarchs of the Bible because they were asleep. They were just asleep in hell. I have seen this before. Yeah, and, and so he he gave them the keys to heaven. He woke them up and brought them up to heaven. So they were the first people that he liberated. So that's one of the banned book, not banned, but not in the Bible. So yeah, maybe he got Socrates too while he was down there. I guess uh, not if if Dante saw him. <laughs> yeah, Dante saw him. Well, yeah. the other Canto four specifically, that's where he saw him. All of all of, most of our modern day conceptions of of Christian hell come from Dante's Inferno. And a lot of our concepts of heaven as well, like Dante's Inferno, which was again, just like this disgruntled politician, but like back in the day, <laughs> he was writing like some revenge fan fiction. He was the first edge lord. Yeah, he was writing revenge fan fiction that defines how modern Western society sees hell <laughs> for the last how many hundred years. So, good old Dante. We're at 46 minutes. Do you want to make this a part tour where we talk about our um, I don't takeaways? Think, or you want I, th- I think we could sum it up. How do you want to end it? Personally, for me, I think I like the uh, the Buddhist aspect where you're trying to reach nirvana and knowledge and transcendence. I think that's a good principle, whether or not you're religious or not. Uh, trying to improve yourself, right, through knowledge. That's a good princi- loose principle to... Yeah. Yeah, self-improvement, right? The could take that as a main idea. I think that's it. The, that's the what I feel the Gnostics are really. The, the importance of developing yourself, I think, is better, better than just relying on the concept of God to come save you. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, it, it puts the power. It's more self-determined. Well, and then that's what I, again I'm going to bring up the Catholic Church. Probably what they were afraid of that people were like, "Oh, wait a minute, they're looking for self-development and self-reliance and wisdom." Mm-hmm. That's dangerous because we can't control them. And if you can't control them, then, you know, what's going to happen, right? Maybe they might might have, might have done it because they thought they were the forebearers of the Roman Empire and they had to control, uh, keep order and stability. Who knows why they, what, their, what their thoughts were. But that's just my interpretation. I think people should read the Gnostic text for themselves and decide. But I think that's a pretty big theme, though. And there's a lot... If you go on Wikipedia, again, yeah, Wikipedia, but... There is a good section where it gives parallels on different um, other other religions where they kind of overlap. Buddhism and I think Zoroastrianism as well. Even though some people in the I communities... Think, yeah, from what I read, they had a strong influence on all those yeah. other religions. Even stuff related to Freemasonry, I was reading. Mm-hmm. Archons. A lot of... Well, that's well, what I said. Someone said the G. The G in... Is Gnostic. Gnostic. Well, it, well, it makes sense, me. yeah, because Be- God, the, the Supreme Being... Well, no, it it is because so a lot of these, the Gnostics were driven underground from the early days of the church. And so to survive, they had to, that's where secret societies, they do have their root in, in Gnosticism because that's the only way they survived through the ages. They they couldn't survive out in the open. It might've been also a, a geom- G for geometry because that's the, um the geometry is the, the, I think, I don't know. They have an actual, the 33-degree masonry, is that what you say? Um, I mean, I can read what I found, if you like. It says, Gnosticism and Gnostic thought are mentioned several times in the Scottish Rite degree. Oh, yeah, that's the Scottish Rite, yeah. And we see it as a general theme in Freemasonry, though it is rarely mentioned specifically by name outside of the Scottish Rite. This is partially due to the fact that Gnostics generally considered themselves their own form of religion, and as Freemasonry accepts brothers of all faiths, it is important not to make the mistake of portraying Freemasonry itself as a Gnostic religion. That being said, the ideas associated with Gnosticism can be found in almost all religions, and as such it can be viewed as more of an esoteric philosophy that unites people across various religions. Though some people today claim to be Gnostics as a religion. For example, the ideas associated with Gnostic Christian are fundamentally almost identical to a Buddha or 
Bodhisattva. Bodhisattva in the Buddhist religion, not Nanis, Ganis in Hinduism, and Arif in the Islamic tradition, and a knower in the Taoist religion. And it is for this reason that it is believed that Gnosticism had an influence on all of these religious philosophies as it spread between Egypt and Tibet. And likewise, these other schools contributed to Gnostic doctrine, though Gnostic philosophy is somewhat. Very somewhat depending on the school in their essential details and philosophy, they are mostly the same. The Gnostic philosopher Mani alluded to this universally when he said, but my hope will go to the west and to the east and they will hear the voice of its teaching in all languages and they will teach it in all cities. Gnosticism surpasses in its first point all other religion, all earlier religions for the earlier religions were founded in individual places and in individual cities. Gnosticism goes out to all cities, and its message reaches every land. Well, I have a book on um, uh, Freemasonry, but uh, this article also kind of sums it up to my ideas, that the G actually st- uh, is a reference to the square and compass, which is used in geometry, right? And geometry to the Freemasons was the noblest of sciences. And it's yes. the basis upon which the superstructure of Freemason- Freemasonry and everything in existence in the entire universe is erected, because... It's the noblest of science, too. It's because God would do... They believe God, if he were a master of anything, he would be the master of geometry because he's, a, he's the architect of the universe. Mm. And la- math is a language of God. A lot of people say that. Well, like like most things in these secret societies, they everything has multiple meanings. Like yeah. There's, there's the obvious, and then there's the obscure, there's the hidden. I think the G for geometry makes sense just because it's a square and a compass. I know, but I'm saying like yeah. they both could be true. Yeah, they, they both they, could be true. They would they would hide things in plain sight, and both things are Maybe, are true. Yeah, duality of meaning. Yeah, be. because there's there's always because we know that there's the we know that there's a very or a relatively open like understanding of Freemasonry, but there's also deeper levels to it. That I mean. I don't know them personally, but I know for a fact that um, people like Aleister Crowley um, and other occult individuals were deeply involved with the Masons. The Scottish Rite in particular was uh, a lot of early 20th century occultists were heavily involved in those uh, organizations. So there, there's levels to, to those things. And generally, yeah, I mean, the the Knights Templar, the... The Rosarians, the ooh, that'd be a good episode to talk about the Knights Templar. Well, all all these secret societies, they they have roots in in Gnostic thinking and Gnostic thought, and just like uh, Dio was reading, it, it's it really is a a thought that that can be applied and seen through the lens of many different religions, you know. And this is this is very old stuff. This is this is why they talk a lot about. Um, the mystery religions. I mean, if you talk to a lot of Christians when that you talk to them about Gnosticism, they talk about it as it's an outright tool for the devil um, because it has roots in Babylon mystery religions, like going back to the beginning of time, straight from the, uh, you know, the 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 devil and um, what were they called the the sons of the the sons of God and the daughters of man. They had kids. That were the, uh, man, I'm spacing on that fucking word. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's a Genesis thing. Like when you, when you get really into the, the, um, not conspiracy. Transgression? No, the, uh, the Nephilim. That's the word I'm looking for. Nephilim. Nephilim. So that's the, in Genesis, they talk about the sons of God looked down and saw the daughters of man and saw they were beautiful. And so they went down and had kids. And so these half-angel, half-human hybrids were known as the Nephilim. And some people just say, oh, they were just like mythology. But other people, you know, they, they think that... Oh, they're um, fallen angels. Yeah, exactly. So depending on who you ask, the, you know, the Babylon mystery religions have an influence even today into, you know, the whole Illuminati type stuff. And that's how really conservative Christians see Gnosticism. Other people see Gnosticism as just kind of a overarching philosophy that is another way to look at the the Jesus story, the Jesus myth and salvation in general. 
Uh, it, it, however you look at it, I think we were talking earlier, I think that a lot of Gnostic ideas would appeal to people nowadays. I, th- I mean, it's very esoteric, and I think also with Hermeticism, which kind of uh, jump-started the Renaissance, would make sense to categorize it as that, because it's kind of loosely... It's not so organized, so it's like an umbrella term, as you said. And esoteric, if anybody wants to know, is a term under which scholars have categorized a wide range of loosely related ideas of movements which have developed within Western society. These ideas are are united by, by the fact... Let me see. They're united by the fact that they are largely distinct both from Orthodox Judeo-Christian religion and from... Enlightenment rationalism. Well, es- esotericism is is worldwide. It, it basically means like a hidden teaching, and you have exoteric, I believe, which is the more obvious teaching. So yeah, yeah. The etymology, uh, the concept of the esoteric originated in the second century A.D. with the coining of the ancient Greek adjective eso esoterikos, belonging to an inner circle. Yeah, mm-hmm. so some belonging to an inner circle is like, like kind of like. So, yeah, like, for example, Eastern esotericism is, like, uh, Tibetan Tantra, right, is an esoteric belief. A lot of a lot of the occult, a lot of the mystical religions, Kabbalah, uh, Kabbalah, Kabbalah, Kabbalah. In Ju- uh, Judaism's uh, mystic sect is the Kabbalists, they're, they're esoteric. The, the Muslims have the, I believe, the Sufis. They're they're more esoteric, so yeah, esotericism is directly linked to Gnosticism yeah. here in the uh, West. Yeah, and I think when you were talking about the religious conservatives, it makes sense why they wouldn't wouldn't like Gnosticism or esotericism, because it, it was used in the wake of the Age of Enlightenment and of its critique of institutionalized religion, mm-hmm. w- w- during which time alternative religious groups began to disassociate themselves from the dominant Christian Christianity in Western Europe. And we know the Enlightenment is based on secularism, um, rationalism, and freedom of thought, individuality, and against pretty anti-religious. So I can see why they would be kind of um, cautionary towards people who are Gnostics. Exactly. And do, do we talk about the Gnostic view on original sin? We should talk about it in the second episode. We can touch on it now. I mean, we're still we're, we're hovering we're around still? an hour. I think we got a little time. Let's let's talk about the original sin and then do a quick. Everybody throw in a thirty second little summary, and we'll close it out. So, original sin, go deal. What do you got it, on it? Um, with not being what it's different from the Christian. Okay, so Eve represents genitals. Mm-hmm. Adam represents the mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eve eats the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The fruit represents the orgasm. As genitals are wont to do. <laughs> is this from Carl Jung? I no, mean, no. <laughs> from Freudian? Uh, it is the fruit of the nervous system, tree being symbolic of it. She then goes and tells the mind about it, and the mind partakes, and the mind understands that it is good. Using Gnostic white tantric sex, sex without orgasm, Mm-hmm. Uh, you build energy at the base, at the bast of the tree, and it swells and maintains a level of guarding against mortality. I.e., the more y- you orgasm, the more chi or life force you expel, and the less is there to support your bodily functions. I was going to say this sounds a lot like uh, it, Taoist yajic. It does. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're all about not busting a nut. <laughs> Because I remember you telling me about that. That's why. Yeah. Every in, in <laughs> traditional Chinese medicine, you're you're. Your jizz is your life force for dudes, and every time you squirt, you you lose a little bit of life. So, ultimately, like the the Taoist alchemists, they 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 want to have sex because they want communion with the female yin energy to to balance their excessive yang energy, and so you absorb that through sex, but you don't want to at the same time blow your load into her because then she's just gonna rob you of your young chi and uh you're, you're not gonna wait a me. minute this yeah. sounds very familiar that's right so <laughs> this is your professor who says he didn't want he wanted to keep his young energy or no, whatever that was a you know, martial art teacher <laughs> he was very worried about it but he, he still did it <laughs> still did it anyway well, well and so they developed heretic te- they developed techniques that you could 
you could hold it in. And so this is the, I know old Montauk Chia catches a lot of shit, but uh, he, he one of his best books is uh, The Multi-Orgasmic Man, where he is directly talking about the technique of uh, holding your chi by developing your, your PC muscles, like doing male Kegels. Mm-hmm. And by squeezing that at the right time and with the right pressure, you can hold your nut and it like recirculates throughout your body and reinvigorates your chi. And so because you don't, ejaculate you don't lose that energy you don't lose that erection and you can continue to do it and you still orgasm just in a different way than when you splooge we are in november is this kind of where no nut november came from and the true true purpose of this episode has finally been revealed gotcha (laughs) i knew you know what is that where it came from Uh, i feel like there's something to it like no, that's where it, it was. Just that's a, not but, where it came but, uh, from, but that's where it. No, went. but it makes the no nut November the philosophy. We should do an episode of the no nut November November philosophy. So, so it started as I understand with like the no fat, and people started to say, "Oh, I see all these benefits from not jerking off." And then the dudes, we were just more practical. You got more time to do stuff if you're not jerking off half the day. Well, they Some would. Are very they would talk. They would talk it. about no, I, like their, I believe it. Their complexion was Seriously, getting clear. Yeah. Their their mind was clearing up. They were stronger. People perceived them as better. And then aestheticism. Uh, is that what they call it? Aestheticism. Well, withholding. The monks do that too for a reason. Yeah, they abstain, and and so and the, the Diogenes. I think no, never mind. Diogenes didn't do that. It's something. I mean, to relate it to Nasim, it's something I didn't hear regularly, but just maybe it's a certain that believes it well i think people came the people that knew about it started saying oh yeah there's something to that and you know how the internet is somebody catches an idea and it starts spreading so they kind of merged because they had people saw the results of not busting a nut all the time the same way as the people who specifically trained for that and like the Taoist alchemy and so then it kind of fed itself and like they used it as a proof to justify one another Right, the Taoists are like, see, they didn't know anything about it, and they're getting all these benefits. And the no nut guys are like, I mean, the Taoists have been doing it for centuries, and so there's something to it. So, and the Buddhists too. I mean, Buddhist monks don't. They still get it, get freaky. Well, well, they have tantra. Yeah, at least some Gnostics have that same the same t- belief. Tantra, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they that gets into like the occult because there's there's sexual magic in the East and the West, which is basically the act of sex and the act of orgasm raises your energy, your chi, your vibrational power, whatever, to such a high level that if you can focus it to a specific goal, you can influence reality around you, which is ultimately the goal of magic to influence your reality, right? You become a Jedi? Kind of. Apparently, the, the, somebody said that the Gnostics were... Were were called Jedi in Egypt? I don't think so. Uh, that'd be funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can get into some like conspiratorial. You start. Kinds you of start. You start. Yeah, that's that'd be funny. <laughs> but, and then when you said that, I was literally thinking about just somebody using the force. Something. Someone using uh, kinetic telekinesis. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll wrap this up though first. Um. So where was I? Uh. Yeah. The more you orgasm, the more chi or life force that you expel, and the less is there to support your bodily functions. The snake represents the kundalini. Kundalini? <laughs> that sounds very... Kundalini is some cool shit. You never, yeah, come on now. Merely an energetic circuit of bioelectrics urging up your spine in the shape in the shape of a snake, therefore symbolized as a snake. The snake never tempted Eve. She was tempted herself. Ooh. <laughs> Bomb dropped. Yep. <laughs> the more you have orgasms, that which can bring about the life of an entirely new human being, the more you give of your own life force away, the less you do, the more you build up your spine, up all 33 vertebrae, all 33 degrees, all 33 years Ooh, of Christ. 33 degrees. Dropping Dropping them, bro. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm not... Connections. Build, build, build it up the spine, the stairway to heaven. You build it up to the place of the skull, Golgotha. Oh, that's where Jesus was crucified. <laughs> And have it touch the pineal, pineal gland, within the oh. holiest of holies, the skull, where transformation from mortal to immortal is made. I've told you they're transhumanists. Did you, did I told you. Did you see you. the uh, the pineal gland is, uh, it's, there's all sorts of symbolism yeah. in uh, Egyptian and even in, in the uh, the Holy See. Yeah, that's. They have, the Pope has his pineal hat. and. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I mean, 
There's something the ac- to it. The acorn, because the acorn I know represents the pineal gland. So, Kundalini is some cool shit, man. That's some interesting stuff. So we can. Uh, all this is, all this is getting into much, much bigger. Um, there, there's sex of Gnosticism that kind of goes into this stuff. That's what I was finding. So this is what we'll do, guys, because we're running a little long. If you guys are interested in Gnosticism, if you're interested in any of the topics that are in contact with Gnosticism, if any of this grabs your attention, hit us up on that social media and let us know, and we will do a follow-up episode. Please let us know if you're interested. If you just want us to, uh, to, to drop it, we will be moving on. Next segment, I believe, will be on, what is it, Islam or Judaism? Which well, you know, I mean... If we were doing it by uh, order, it would have been Judaism, Christianity, Islam. Nah, we're not. We're, we're working. Okay, we'll go with Islam. Islam, because we're moving towards Christianity. So, Gnostic I mean, Islam. We kind of tied in Christianity a bunch, just cause yeah. Of how we could talk about the Templars. Just kidding. Well, well, we'll do we'll do Islam next, Judaism after, and then Christianity Christmas week, right? Yeah. Boom. Yeah, All that's right. true. We have to lead it to Christianity, and then also for, we we're gonna talk about the Kabbalah eventually. The Eventually of life. we will, yeah. The, the, that makes sense if we talk we, about it. We can it touch on Judy, Judas uh, mysticism when we when we mm-hmm. talk about Judaism. But uh, Dio, final thoughts? Um, I'm looking forward to Islam, uh, talking about Islam and kind of tying in, transitioning Gnosticism into Islam. Did you know there's actually something called Islamic Gnosticism as well? There's a connection. Yeah. There's absolutely a connection. But I was thinking of also talking about the Nizari, the Hastashi, and the Assassins. Those were very interesting. We can talk about we anything. Can talk about it, yeah. All right. Well, All right. And uh, Gene, final thoughts? Uh, no, not November is actually just Taoism. Changed my mind. Oh, shit. <laughs> Drop that gauntlet. And for me, uh, it's been a pleasure. As I said in different times, religion is super interesting to me. So this is going to be a fun month. Again, before we go, I just want to drop a second reminder for social media. We are trying to build it up. Please, when you hear this, give us a follow. We will do a better job of keeping it updated with good content for all of you guys. I'll go do ahead my and best. Drop the handles. We're gonna be yeah. We're gonna be dropping some content, more content uh, recently at Wine Jar Cynics on all social media, but including uh, Rumble as well. Rumble, Rumble bitch you. We're gonna do Instagram. exclusives, right? Yeah, there'll be some. In exclusives on Rumble and BitChute for but sure. But our, our big platforms are Instagram, Twitter, uh, Parlor, YouTube will be on there, BitChute, Rumble. Am I missing anything? So we're covering all our bases, <laughs> but our, our top three are going to be Instagram, Twitter, and Parlor. Those are the ones yeah. we are the most attention from we're us. We're going to do announcements, the, right? The majors yeah. where it's easiest to contact so, and. That is where you can comment on us. You can get in contact with us. You can send us messages. You can drop suggestions for episodes, give feedback for episodes, and most of all, you can share with your friends and family. Makes a perfect gift for the holidays, folks. So we'd love to be there with you Turkey Day and for your opening presents on Christmas. Until then, we are the Wine Jar Cynics, and we will see you next time. Peace out. Receive his packing. Parabellum. <laughs> <laughs>